Well, good morning, Grace Church. Good morning, Grace Church. It is great to see everyone today. Would you just look at somebody nearby, give them a smile, tell them you're happy to see them on a Sunday morning. Those joining us on Facebook Live and live stream, we are so glad you've chosen to be part of our service today, and we pray that it will be a blessing. Um, I marvel at the fact, the knowledge that all over the campus this morning, the Word of God, the Word of God has gone forth. It has been taught at every age level, uh, you know, just at various places and various classrooms across the campus. And I just can't help but imagine that with the word going forth like that, that God wants to do something very special in the service today. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God performs his word? He's going to honor his word. He's going to do a demonstration of his power today. I believe that. Amen. Amen. Before we get started with our worship set, let me remind you of a few things. Uh, first of all, today is the deadline for your mother's memorial offering. So if you have not turned that in yet, today is your day. And then Wednesday night, we have a very special uh, service planned, a very special guest. Brother Steve Smith, who is the missionary to the Caribbean and Guyana, will be ministering in that service. So come out Wednesday night expecting great things in the Holy Ghost. And then I'm excited tonight to announce that we had an amazing meeting last Sunday night with our Connect Group leaders, and they are ready to go, excited about launching Connect Groups. And so that means our next step, everybody listen and mark your calendars, our next step is the Connect Group Fair, which will take place next Sunday, a week from today, right after the altar service over in the Alexander Center. And so what you can expect when you go over there is to see all of the Connect Group leaders with uh, information about the various Connect Groups. You can peruse all of that and make a choice and choose to get involved in a Connect Group. We'll be launching those on August 15th. So I want you to come next Sunday kind of with that in your mind, with that in your heart, and, and make plans to just take 10, 15 minutes after the service next Sunday to go by the Alexander Center and choose a Connect Group and get involved. It's gonna be fun, it's gonna be exciting, it's going to integrate with your life. And so you'll be able to schedule this and be a part of this without having to, uh, you know, without having to just, you know, sign up for the rest of your life, if I could just say it that way. Uh, so that's going to be fun. And we're going to have an incentive for you as well. Uh, there might be some ice cream waiting for you if you'll just agree to go by and check out the Connect Groups and pick up some ice cream. So we can, uh, we, we look forward to that. Also, on July the 30th, we will be having a Move the Mission Spaghetti Dinner, and uh, those will be going for $8 a plate. There's a sign-up sheet if you want to do a pre-order in Grand Central. Also, you're going to see our students running around with uh, order forms. We want you to pre-order, and uh, you can come pick those up on July 30th between 11.30 and 1 o'clock. And then last announcement, last thing. I'm glad, I'm excited about this. I'm glad I get to be the one to let you know about it. Save the date. Mark your calendars. December the 16th, right, Sister Sheila? December the 16th from 7 to 10. We're going to have a church-wide Christmas banquet. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Hey, do, do you have, like, some nostalgic memories of Christmas church Christmas banquets from years gone by? 
I say let's bring them back and do it again. We had a very successful youth banquet and young marriage banquet last year. And we thought, you know what, we're just going to go ahead and, and launch out and do a church-wide for everybody uh, this, this year for Christmas. So that is Friday, December the 16th. Mark your calendar and let's have a good time during the Christmas holiday. Stand with me. Worship team is coming. I've taken enough time uh, with announcements. Now it's time to worship. Are you ready to worship? I asked the adult class who was going to run the aisles by a show of hands. I didn't get any hands, but that's okay. When the Spirit of the Lord moves, we're going to worship. Clap your hands to Jesus today. Love it. 
I'm thankful today that I'm not serving a God that's dead, that's made out of stone, that's made out of wood. I'm glad I serve a God today that's not just alive, but he's all powerful and a God that can do anything. Hallelujah. Anybody thankful for Jesus here today? Thankful for the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank the Lord. Thank the Lord. Thank the Lord. Would you return to your seats? Remain standing. We're uh, so thankful to see all of you here, as always. And uh, thank you so much for coming today to worship the Lord with us. And uh, your presence here today is deeply, deeply appreciated, especially our guest here today. Thank you so much for coming. Uh, I'm really excited about the Christmas banquet. And I hope all of you sign up to go. And we're going to have a big surprise for you as it gets a little bit closer. And uh, so don't just plan to save the date, but expect a big surprise. A big surprise. And it's not the speaker. It's going to be something else. So y'all went down a different path on me. And uh, it's not the speaker. It's going to be something else that we're going to surprise you with. Thank the Lord. Remember that. I went walked over to the Alexander Center uh, during youth prayer this morning, counted 17 of our young people, not counting the parents, adults, and whatnot that were over there with them. I appreciate them showing up at 9 o'clock on Sunday morning to pray. They're not there to eat donuts and drink cold drinks. They came to pray. They didn't get none of that till it was over. Thank the Lord. And uh, I appreciate our, our young people today. Love them, but much, much, or even more than I appreciate our youth here today, I appreciate their parents being so solid, so supportive, and uh, getting them here on Sunday morning, whatever the case may be. Uh, thank you for your tremendous support as we're all reaching uh, to have God just do something amazing and great with our young people uh, this morning. Thank the Lord. Um, also, would like for us to be in prayer for Sister Eton today and her family. Her mom passed away this week, and uh, I want her to know that our hearts and prayers are with her today and her family. Thank the Lord. I've learned a long time ago, it doesn't matter how old your parents are when they pass, they're still your parents. It still hurts, it still stings. And uh, we want her to know that she'll be on our mind and heart in the next several days and week. Thank the Lord. I want to welcome sweet sister Bunch back here with us. She's had an accident a few months ago and she's back in church. We welcome her today. Thank the Lord. Thank the Lord. For those of you that may not know, that is also my sister. And uh, I tell somebody that every once in a while, newer to the church, and they're like, really? Yeah. Now, she may not go around saying that's my brother up there, but I will go around saying that's my sister back there. So anyway, glad to see her back here today. I want to call your attention today to the Word of God and have a very compelling message this morning and uh, when I announce it and introduce it I would like for you not to get ahead of me because there's going to be uh, a little bit of a twist if you will at the end and uh, I, I, I did some some thinking and that my memory serves me. Very incredible evangelist came to the first church, first Pentecostal church in Baton Rouge in early, I believe it was, was early 1973. Our brother and sister Curtis Young was uh, 
came to pastor in November of 1972. And uh, I believe it was in early 73. They were brand new converts, this couple was, this evangelist. I'm not going to call their name. But uh, one of the most dynamic preachers I've heard in all of my life. And uh, he preached a sermon one Sunday night that has been unforgettable to me. And it made an indelible impression on my life. It changed the way I thought. It changed the way I lived. I was 16, maybe 16 years old, 15. I've never forgotten. The message I want to preach today is very similar. And I hope and pray today that it'll have a similar effect on you, particularly our young people here today. Luke chapter 23, verse 13. And Pilate, when he had called together the chief priest and the rulers of the, of the people, said unto them, You have brought this man unto me, speaking of Jesus, as one that perverteth the people. And behold, I, having examined him before you, have found no fault in this man, touching those things whereof you accuse him. Nor, no, nor yet Herod, for him now speaking to Jesus, said, I sent you to him. Now back to the crowd, and lo, nothing worthy of death is done unto him. I will therefore chastise him and release him. Notice verse 17. For of necessity, he must release one unto them at the feast. I'll talk about that more in just a moment. And they cried out all at once, saying, Away with this man, away with Jesus, and release unto us Barabbas, who for a certain sedition made in the city and for murder was cast into prison. Pilate, therefore, willing to release Jesus, spake again to them, but they cried, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. And he said unto them the third time, Why? What evil hath he done? I have found no cause of death in him. I will therefore chastise him and let him go. And they were instant with loud voices requiring that he might be crucified. And the voices of them and of the chief priest prevailed. And Pilate gave sentence that it should be as they required. And he released unto them him that for sedition and murder was cast into prison, whom they all desired. They wanted Barabbas. And he delivered Jesus to their will or to their want to have him. I have intentionally just given this a very simple title today to make it easy to remember. Question, Jesus or Barabbas? Jesus or Barabbas? Thank God for the word. Everybody said amen. You may be seated. Thank you. The total innocence of Jesus of Nazareth is underlined for us as Pilate addresses the representatives of the whole Jewish nation. He has assessed the evidence brought against Christ 
and tells them that he finds no basis for their charges against him, nor has King Herod. Pilate says to them of Jesus, he has done nothing to deserve death. Pilate decided to flog or scourge Jesus. That is, they beat him, slapped him in his face, pulled out his beard, spit on him, crushed the crown of thorns on his head, and beat his back to a bloody pulp. So Pilate had that done and had planned to bring him out before the crowd, hoping to solicit their compassion and softening their hearts and release him. Even again, though Jesus has done nothing worthy of such barbarism, but the clamor from the crowd was loud and it was hostile and it was united. With one voice they cried out, Away with this man! And release Barabbas to us. And they began a chant which drowned any conversation. They kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him. Finally, when Pilate can get some silence, he tells them for the third time, Why? What crime has this man committed? I find in him no grounds for the death penalty. Therefore, I'll have him punished, and I will release him. The shouts of the mob grew louder, and their shouting prevailed. The coward Pilate buckled and gave in, and released Barabbas, and surrendered Jesus to them to crucify him. Almost everyone has heard of the notable prisoner called Barabbas, who was chosen by the people to be released on the morning of Jesus' crucifixion. He was actually preferred by the crowd over our Savior. He was pardoned and walked free while Jesus was condemned to death, to the death of the cross. It's interesting to me, and it's not happened often in the Gospels, but all four Gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all refer and tell the story of the release of Barabbas and the capture and crucifixion of Jesus. This was an established custom for this particular Passover feast alone. Not for the Feast of the Tabernacles, not for Purim, nor for the Day of Atonement, nor for the Festivals of Weeks, which in the New Testament days had become known as Pentecost. But for this feast alone, for the Passover feast alone, and the people were very insistent that this old custom should be maintained. It had become one of the talked about events of the Passover period. For example, have you heard someone might say who the released prisoner is this year? No, not yet. But they say it's going to be announced today. This custom was of some long standing. It was not a Roman tradition set up In each nation they conquered because Pilate says to them, It is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of Passover. Its roots were in the life of Israel. This tradition was in the life of Israel. It was nurtured by a national empathy with state prisoners in this occupied land. That there was nothing, but there was nothing in the scripture that required one prisoner to be released at the Passover feast. 
And even when you read the writings of the rabbis and the, the Talmud, there's no mention whatsoever of this tradition. Yet, as I said, each of the gospel writers refer to it. This event actually happened as they record it. It was a real, there was a real criminal named Barabbas who was given a criminal amnesty on the day that Jesus was crucified. If we ask how the custom came to be accepted so enthusiastically, we, we will guess that it started at some particular Passover as a gesture of goodwill to the people of Jerusalem over a widely felt miscarriage of justice. This was such a popular act that the next Passover and subsequently every other Passover, the people demanded that such amnesty be repeated. Surely it could not have been good for public justice, as Spurgeon points out, that the ruling authority should discharge a criminal quite irrespective of his crimes or of his repentance, just letting him loose upon society simply and only because a certain day must be celebrated in some peculiar manner, he said. I suppose it helped perhaps all the wheels of the Roman occupation to release one prisoner of the people's choice would be good, good PR. The citizens of Jerusalem annually welcomed someone out of Rome's clutches. And this gave them a cause for celebration. However, the gesture fitted in well with the biblical prophecy. That one of the things the Messiah would do when he came. Would be to bring freedom to prisoners. Giving one man his freedom at the Passover appealed perhaps to the national psyche. The freed man then had a moment of glory. He became a popular hero in the country. He symbolized an entire nation of people who were longing for freedom. Of course, the crowd who were yelling for the release of Barabbas weren't theologians. They weren't approaching his liberty with insights from history of redemption, they weren't analyzing the eschatology of Israel. Festivals take on a life of their own. For example, our own Christmas festivities have long departed from the celebration of the coming of the incarnate God. And so it is within the crowded, bustling, feasting city of Jerusalem. This chanting mob weren't preachers or rabbis. They were the urban working class, if you will, who wanted the release of some proverbial Robin Hood. They weren't the upright keepers of the Passover. These people wanted a dungeon door unlocked and the prison doors to be opened and a fellow countryman incarcerated by the hated Romans freed. Barabbas's cronies, cronies were no doubt leading the chanting. Perhaps it was Pilate himself who hit on the idea that he might profit from this Passover custom. And so maybe he took the initiative and presented Jesus to the crowd as a candidate for this freedom. Surely they all know someone who had been healed by Jesus or inspired by his words. Surely Pilate thought they would seize the opportunity of asking for Jesus' release. The Sanhedrin would certainly howl with rage if the crowd began chanting, release unto us Jesus, but but what could they do? 
they'd be stymied by the mob. That was Pilate's hope. But when he offered them Jesus, when he offered them Jesus released to his surprise, they rejected Jesus and they wanted Barabbas. Pilate was being drawn into the manipulative layers of Jewish tradition and culture and the people he was supposed to be governing. And he was finding it was impossible to avoid giving to the Sanhedrin and the mob what they wanted. Let me introduce you today to this prisoner they wanted. His name is Barabbas. He's a mysterious figure in the Bible. What, what can we glean about him? I'm going to share some things with you about him that perhaps you've never heard before. From our text, we learned that he had been thrown into prison for an insurrection in the city and for murder. That is, murder committed in an uprising or a riot, clearly some definite, infamous event. Barabbas was the leader of a recent demonstration against the Romans in Jerusalem, which had escalated and people had been killed. In Acts chapter 3, Peter refers to Barabbas while he is preaching to the people outside of the temple and he nails their wickedness on them. He said in Acts 3, you disown the holy and righteous one and ask for a murderer to be released unto you. Barabbas was a murderer. So what we know of his character is that he was a criminal, a person to whom human life was cheap. Public enemy number one, if you will. A man worthy of death according to the law of man and God. His name technically is Bar-Abbas. We say Barabbas, but technically it's two words, Bar-Abbas. Literally this means son of his father. Now this is not a family name because every man is the son of his father. Matthew tells us that he was a notorious or notable prisoner. He had a certain fame. He was a popular hero. So the name Barabbas was also a slogan. It was a cry for freedom. And so immediately Barabbas is winning the election against Jesus. He represents emancipation from Rome. And that is far more tangible to them than emancipation from the bondage of sin they were living in. Barabbas represented political revolution. But Jesus represented spiritual regeneration. This contest was, we could say, structural change versus inward change. Of course, it is not as simple as that. We give way to no one in our desire for civil justice, but Barabbas represents the legal use of the weapons of this world to attain structural change. Jesus represents those who use the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. To the people, Jesus promised many mansions in his Father's house, while Barabbas offered many mansions here and now. Barabbas walks tall. Jesus is a worm. And Caiaphas and Pilate and Israel and Rome are about to walk all over him. One more fact that's worthy of a little attention. There are some old manuscripts which give Barabbas the name Jesus or Joshua. 
Translators of the New English Bible, the NEB, were confident enough to put that name, Jesus Barabbas, in the text in Matthew 27, 16 and 17. I've looked this up personally. This has not won the majority of scholarly approval. None of the recent translations have followed the 50-year-old New English Bible. These were just two names on the ballot. Joshua Barabbas or Joshua of Nazareth. Many people were called Joshua. Follow me here. As a consequence of God becoming incarnate, Jesus was in fashion as a man. He was actually made in the likeness of sinful flesh. You would see him in Nazareth running errands for his mother or helping his father in the carpenter shop and there would be nothing at all in the appearance of the boy that would lead you to believe that this was truly the incarnate Son of God. He looked like every other human being. He laughed and bled like everybody else. His very name was indistinguishable from many other boys who bore that same name. Thousands of men in Israel were called Joshua or Jesus. Even Grace Church has had Joshua's here before. Incarnate Jehovah is presented to us with a name that a man in the street might also bear, even a murderer in prison. So in Jesus, the Son of God, was hidden behind this amazingly effective veil, the likeness of sinful flesh. See how he's looking at this moment as he stands before Pilate after being beaten up and spat upon by the 71 members of the Sanhedrin and their complicit servants, that veiling of his deity. I, I ask you to think what he is going to look like after Jesus has been lashed across his bare back some 39 times. What veiling of his deity. But more, how mightily God manifest in flesh is concealed when he hangs on a cross, dying between two other dying thieves. How he will look then, barely human, a lump of meat, if you will. What a veiling of his deity. This is part and parcel of his abject humiliation. God gave his son the ordinary name of Jesus or Joshua as a name, a name as common as John and David and Peter are in our own language. Yet we must say this, that when God chose the name, it was not that he drew out of it and drew it out of a hat. It was significant. Thou shalt call his name Jesus, the angel said, for he shall save his people from their sin. The meaning of his name is Jehovah saves. It is the perfect name of our Lord, and it does fit him completely. I cannot express my gratitude here today for the wonderful matchless name of Jesus. Are you all on board? There were two names in the air as the Roman governor announced that he would release the Passover prisoner. Barabbas, who may have been Jesus Barabbas, and Jesus of Nazareth, that is, the Son of God. Frederick Leahy says, and I quote, This was a shameful pairing. The Christ of God was placed on the same platform as a sinner. 
And the people must vote for one or the other. Here was a deepening of the Savior's humiliation. Jesus and Barabbas. The difference between them is infinitely great. Barabbas fights for a political freedom that would be immediate. Emancipation from the shackles of Rome. But Christ came to deliver people from the slavery of sin. Barabbas was popular, the people's man. Christ often antagonized the people. He even refused a king's crown at their hand. Barabbas preached revolution. Christ preached regeneration. Leahy said that Barabbas was carnal. Christ was spiritual. Barabbas wanted to conquer. Christ came to serve. Barabbas relied on the sword. Christ had no work for the sword to do. Barabbas sacrificed others. Christ sacrificed himself, Leahy said. Barabbas pleased the human heart. Christ offended it. These were the two names on the ballot paper that day. The choice was stark and clear, end quote. Jesus or Barabbas? When Pilate first approached the crowd, he placed Christ in a position superior to Barabbas. He said, I find no guilt, no fault in this man. But when the fa- facing the remorseless opposition of the mob, he brought Christ down and paired him with Barabbas. You want the Christ or the criminal? Which do you want? Finally, he placed Jesus beneath Barabbas. He released the man of violence and ordered the man of righteousness to be flogged. This was not an impartial ballot. It was the worst election in the history of the world. And Barabbas won. So what do you think of all of this? Those of you that have listened intently, what do you think? What do you think about all this? Did Jesus protest? Didn't he decline to have his name put on the ballot with Barabbas? Didn't he ask for a recount? Do you think he had no choice? Oh, yes, he did. The mob's heart was in his hands. If he had wanted them to cry for his own release or for the choice of a better prisoner, what we would call a prisoner of conscience, he could have. But he did nothing. He did nothing. Allowing his name to be paired with a murderer. He stood there in full consciousness of being the anointed of God, the well-beloved Son of God, who had done no iniquity and in whose mouth there was found no guile. He knew himself to be the holy and just one whose meat had always been to do his Father's will. More than that, he stood there in the full consciousness of being the Son of God, the only begotten, who even at this very moment was in the bosom of his father according to his divine nature. What shame! Like the most unashamedly rigged of all elections in some so-called democracy like in a communist country where everything is fixed and a dictator or someone in a dictator's pocket is appointed or elected by 99% of the vote. While the righteous man gets the sloppy seconds of what's left over. The abominable corruption of it. 
the unspeakable wickedness of it. Man, mere man, who is less than dust of the balance, here places the very Son of God on a par with a murderer. The will of the people is about to make a choice between the incarnation of the love of God and public enemy number one. One man wrote, did Jesus accept this nomination? He might simply have snapped his hands and disappeared. Or he might have caused his divine glory and majesty to flash forth and consume these men who love darkness rather than light. But Jesus of Nazareth remained silent. His deeply humble, he deeply humbled himself and allowed himself to fulfill another prophecy of Scripture where he said he chose to be numbered with transgressors. This is the hour of the judgment of the world. God at that moment was sitting on the judgment seat and the world, the world of the people of the world, of the majority was standing before the tribunal of the Most High. Let me have everybody here understand something this morning. They were not judging Jesus. Jesus was trying them. I'm watching you, he thinks, as you make your choice. All things are naked and open to my eyes. So both names, I'm about to come to my point today. So both names for this election were on the ballot. They preferred a murderer to Jesus who is called the Christ. They preferred a killer to the one who healed all the sick. They preferred a, a criminal to the one who preached the Sermon on the Mount. They, the one who forgave sins was, a, was condemned as a sinner. The one who healed broken lives was sent to be broken on the cross. The one who raised dead, the dead was being put to death himself. And he who had wronged no one was himself wronged in his trial. He had brought fullness of life to all who turned to him. And yet they took his life away and let the murderer go free. So let me pose a question to you today. What would you have done? Don't answer. Here comes the twist. What would you have done? But don't answer. Think about it. All of us here today would resoundingly say, I would have screamed for Jesus to be released. That's what we all feel. But consider my question again. Knowing what all of us know here today, we sit here today as redeemed, blood-washed, blood-bought sinners. We sit here today as people who have been washed in the blood of Christ, who have been cleansed, who's had Every sin forgiven because of his blood. Your desire, you say, would have been for Jesus not to die. Are you sure? We who glory in the cross of Christ, would you have delivered Christ from this cross? You say that you couldn't bear the thought of him being crucified, that you love him too much to think of him being nailed to a cross. So do I. But I don't want to be like Simon Peter at Caesarea Philippi when he was horrified at God's at Jesus prophesying his own suffering. He 
Jesus rebuked him and said, Get thee behind me, Satan. We know that he has come as a lamb of God. One man wrote, We know that he has to go to Golgotha, and while his last breath must be on a cross, he died that we might be forgiven. He died to make us good, that we might go to go at last to heaven, saved by his precious blood. So for this reason, Jesus came into the world. So now how can I vote for him to be freed? It's a crazy place to be in, isn't it? It's a crazy place to be in, isn't it? Did Christ want them to vote for him to be released? No, he did not. Because if he had, they would have all been inwardly constrained to vote for him. Mighty Christ, the Lord who opens men's hearts, would have seen to that. Did Jesus want to be delivered from the cross at that point? No. Did he want the, the cup that he had determined to, to drink from be taken away from him at that point? No. Did he want his deliverance from death to be dependent on a, some democracy, more people voting for him that voted for Barabbas? No. For the rest of his life, as Jesus would have been wandering around Galilee, he would have been labeled as one of the Passover amnesty men, chosen by the people to be saved from a terrible fate. Grandfathers would point, at him, point him out to, their, to his grandchildren as he shuffled down the street and his eyes staring at the ground. It's not what Jesus wanted. As he stood before the mob and Pilate, he was choosing to save the people from a terrible judgment of dying for them. He even wanted Barabbas to experience this liberty and freedom. Christ is not going to receive the amnesty as the people's gift. It is the sinners who are going to be offered an amnesty as a gift from God. Christ has to earn that amnesty by being bound to the cross, bound to sin and his punishment and bound to death. So let us look again at these two men. But now with all, the, all that we know of Christ as the sin bearer, even then entering the curse of God by being crucified, who bears the greatest guilt? Barabbas is guilty of insurrection and murder and probably other crimes and many sins too. But Jesus is made guilty of every sin. God is laying on him the iniquity of us all, the Bible said. He has been made sin for us. He is bearing our transgressions in his own body. So we would look again at these two men and we would see the darkness of Barabbas' life. But there's no such in, in Jesus. Jesus has now become sin. Not because he sinned. But because we have, Jesus is not engaged in some theological transaction on Calvary. He is involved in a real transaction. He is really receiving the punishment for actual sins, not for a murderer and an insurrection alone, but for every commandment of God which all of us have broken. God demanded it. That is the nature of the deity. The Son of God is standing there in the guilt of Moses' murder. He's standing there in the guilt of David's murder and David's adultery and Abraham's deceit. 
and Jacob's lying and trickery and Paul's violence and, and torturing and the guilt of all of my sins. He stands there bearing the whole load of the whole entire world, including you and I. You don't want him to do that? It's a hard question, isn't it? Barabbas or Jesus? So there before us are two men. But even Barabbas is a hardened criminal, fresh out of the violence of prison. Would have been stunned if he had walked to Galgotha later that day and had seen the middle cross, which had been destined to be placed to be where he had been destined to be in the place of his own execution, and now there's someone taking his place. He would have been shocked, I say, to have seen had the Holy Ghost opened his eyes the unmitigated wickedness that had been imputed to Jesus of Nazareth, just from his sin. It was to deliver us from the vast guilt and sin that Jesus Christ would not change the hearts of the mob, but would rather take all this wickedness into the blackness of Gethsemane. So you who stand with the world that good Friday, that, that good Friday morning and see these two men standing before you, gentle Jesus, meek and mild, but here made sin or the murderous Barabbas, who do you want to vote for? What is your choice? What a, a dilemma for Christ's people. There's some of you here today that's so uncomfortable right now you don't know what to do. You're saying, I've never thought of it that way before. What a dilemma we're in. Their love for him prompting them to cry for his release, of course. They, they couldn't vote for a murderer if they were silent. They'd be voting in effect for this criminal. They'd be voting against Christ. They'd, they'd be driving him to his death. But to vote for Jesus means to turn him away from his eternal destiny of laying down his life as a Lamb of God. What dilemmas there are in the Christian life. Do you vote for him to be freed that day or do you keep your mouth shut and let your silence vote that he go on and be crucified? But I didn't mean to do that. That's not what I intended. So what will you do with Jesus? Pilate was not a disciple and Pilate must not be silent and I am not pleading with unbelievers to be silent. He didn't know what you and I know as Christian people but he did know that Jesus was a good and blameless man. The question facing him was this. What shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? It's a vital question. Paul Pilate initially tried to avoid that question. He didn't want to put his whole life on the line for the sake of Jesus of Nazareth. But at the same time, he didn't want to be the one to put him on the cross. It's a terrible place to be, isn't it? He wanted to remain neutral. He wanted other people to make a choice while sitting on the fence and avoiding the issue. So he first sent Jesus off to Herod. And when that failed... He told others that they should decide between Jesus and Barabbas. No, but no matter what he did, Pilate could not avoid the question. Pilate had to decide to bow before the Son of God or to be against him. Likewise, you and I can't avoid this question either. What shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? You can't go on 
trying to be neutral about the Son of God because He is your Creator and He will be your judge. He has the authority to put you in hell, but He's ready to be your Savior. You have to respond. You must respond in some way to Christ's claims. If the words you've heard are true, you must give up everything for him. Or you must reject him completely if he is a wicked liar. There is no middle ground. When Pilate pretended to be neutral, he ended up authorizing the murder of Jesus. When you pretend to be neutral, you're really spurning Jesus and rejecting his claims. When Jesus says, he who is not with me is against me. So if you say that you're really not against Jesus, but you're not really for him either, you're saying whether you realize it or not that Jesus has no claim on your life and that you don't recognize him as your Lord and God. You're saying that you don't want his love, you that you don't need his blood to cover your sin, that you can get along just fine without his resurrection. The Bible said, how shall we escape? If we neglect such a great salvation, neglecting his salvation is no better. Neglecting his salvation is no better than rejecting his salvation. When you try to be neutral toward the Lord Jesus, when like Pilate you try to avoid going one way or the other, what you're really doing is rejecting him and destroying yourself in the bargain. What shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? It is a question you can't avoid or be neutral about. It's also a question that won't allow us to plead ignorance. So before you try to answer all your questions, first answer this one. What shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? First respond to the gospel truths you know, what you've already heard. Repent of your sins and be filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. There's a lot of people here today trying to, trying in your mind to exit yourself and remove yourself from this sermon, but you've already sat through too much of it. You've heard too much of it. And no matter what you do today, you're making a choice. Some will walk out the door and say, I'm just going to stay neutral. No, you're spurning him. And there's people here today that's gotten hardened to that. And it's real easy for you to get up and walk out. But one day the Bible says... One day the Bible says clearly that every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess. So, it would be a whole lot better to do it now than later. You may hesitate making a choice for Jesus today, and I'm closing this. You may hesitate because of what it would cost you. Pilate was afraid of that. If he stood up for Jesus, he would lose his position. He would. He absolutely would have. He would have probably been martyred. Count the cost, Jesus said. You may have similar fears here today. If you start living for Jesus, your new way of life, and your refusal to make moral compromises may hurt you in your marriage or your status among your peers. It may hurt you even in your place of employment. You might run into new problems and some of your personal relationships, a, a commitment to Christ could cost you. If like Pilate, you put your own success first, you'll turn away from Jesus. If you base your response on to Jesus, 
on how you think and how it will affect your immediate future, you'll end up siding with evil. And in the long-term future, you'll lose your soul eternally. For Jesus said, For whatever wants to save his life will lose it, but whosoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So if like Pilate, you desire to make a personal commitment, excuse me, if like Pilate, you refuse to make a personal commitment, and you go through the same hand-washing ceremony that he did. And just go along with what the crowds and your peer group tells you to do. You will only lose your hope for salvation. Jesus wasn't on trial before Pilate. Pilate was on trial before Jesus. And so are you. Your response to Jesus reveals your destiny. God's word said, whoever believes in the Son of God has eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son of God will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him, John 3.36. Where I'm struggling today with this wonderful, beautiful crowd of people here today, what I'm struggling with is there's people here today really desiring to be neutral. I really don't want to live for Jesus, but I don't want to be a total and complete heathen either. I want to straddle the fence. I still want to be able to drink occasionally during the week and go party and do all that stuff during the week. And I don't want to have to follow scriptural commands and all of that. I don't want to have to do all that, but I don't want to be a sinner either, Pastor. Do you understand that? Sure, I understand. I understand it. But it's not possible. Neutrality is a vote against Jesus. Saying, I'm part the way in is a vote against Jesus. To say, that I'm, I'm, look, I know the Bible says a lot of stuff about a lot of stuff, but I just don't believe all that stuff, whatever. Jesus said very clearly, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. If you love me, you love me. So if you're not keeping his commandments, then you don't love him. I didn't say that. Jesus did. I'm just repeating what Jesus said. So we all have a choice here today. Young people, y'all listen to me. I think y'all are fine people and y'all know that. Pastor loves you people more than you know. The 17 that was here this morning for prayer meeting, you swept my heart away. When I walked in there, I saw several of our young men had their hand up and their fists, just pounding their fists. Just, man, I just wanted to just shout and dance and rejoice. But some of you are hitting that 15, 16, 17-year-old bracket, and that's where life starts getting tricky. That's where you're getting your driver's license and your smartphones, and pretty soon you're going to be getting a car. And mom and dad may not be able to have all that parental authority on you like they used to. And some of you say, I can't wait for that day. No, you can be patient for that day if you're smart. But no matter where you go in life, no matter where life takes you, always in front of you, every step you take, every decision you make, every place you go is going to be standing in front of you. Jesus or Barabbas. Don't forget this message. I hope you don't like I've never forgotten the one I heard when I was your age. 16? 16? When I was y'all's age. 16? When I was y'all's age, I heard this message and it changed my life. And everything I do now with my life to the best of my ability 
is covered by these two men standing in front of me. Jesus and Barabbas. And I've learned a long time ago that I can never be neutral on a subject. You have to pick one or the other. There's no middle ground. Pilate, following Jewish tradition, called for a basin of water and washed his hands. I preached a sermon about that several years ago, the, the hand washing service, not foot washing, hand washing. Because somehow I want to be rid of him. I don't want to be accountable to this. <laughs> Pastor, I'm really uncomfortable right now. You should be. I'm uncomfortable right now. Can I be honest with all of you here this morning? I'm going to be honest in front of everybody and in front of that camera. I was kind of hoping for one of them shout-down services today so I wouldn't have to preach this. But you know what makes me feel so fulfilled and excited? After last Sunday's sermon, Doves and Ravens, Troltier walked up to me after church and said, Pastor, thank you for preaching that. His words were, I know it's a little racy. I get it. But I appreciate you doing it. And he said, I know it's not always easy. It's not easy today either. But I'm driven to a point as pastor where it's, it's only appropriate that I bring, figuratively speaking, to the platform two men. Jesus or Barabbas. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Now, you can file this away, and you can think this is just Glenn Murphy preaching, and I'll forget about it in a week or two, and everything will go back to normal. No, it's not. This isn't going away. It hasn't gone away for 2,000 years. Pilate set a precedent that's, that day that has been continued in the lives of every man woman that's been born on this planet. What are you going to do? Jesus or Barabbas? And you can put Barabbas in whatever category you want this morning. Whatever blank you want to put him in, it doesn't matter to me. But there's only one that Jesus can go in. And that is the Savior of your soul. And if you deny that, you don't honor that and respect that you're not going to heaven but I want to tell Cole today why I'm compelled to preach you stand with me this morning why I'm compelled to preach like this because we have people here this morning not because you're rejecting the gospel but because you're neglecting the gospel you're still not going to be saved. The scripture didn't say if you reject it, it says if you neglect it. And there's people here today, and you know who you are. You know that I know who you are. And this is a real good time to slip out and go to the nursery and the bathroom and the water fountain. It, 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 it kind of takes you out of the situation and you don't have to, <laughs> I don't have to respond to this. But it doesn't matter. You can walk out. You can do whatever you want to do, but it's not going to, it's not going to deliver you from this place you're in right now. And this is where I've said to several people during lunch, preached it last Sunday, but this is where I wish some people would just start running to the altar and say, God, I, 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 I just don't feel like I'm in a place where I'm blatantly rejecting the gospel. Because I come to church and I pay my tithes and all that, but you're neglecting it. And the Bible said you're not going to escape if you neglect it. You're certainly going to be in trouble if you reject it, but if you neglect it, and that's who I'm pulling for today. That's who I'm pulling for today. It's people who just don't quite want to live.
not the way it's not the way I teach it it's the way you know it deep down inside you know it so you, you have a choice to make here today let me let me do this in, in conclusion brother Dave brother man y'all just come down here for a minute just one stand right there and one stand right here just use this as an example over here if you will we have Jesus y'all see that over here we have Barabbas one of them is going to die today and your vote could spare him which one would you pick it's a hard place to be the only thing we can do at this point the only thing we have the only choice we have to make at this point Jesus <laughs> I'm sorry can't go against prophecy and I can't go against the reason you came but I actually want you to go to the cross but not because I despise you and not because I think you're an awful wicked man that's not why I'm wanting you to go to that cross so that 2,000 years later when I'm standing at Grace Church on a Sunday morning and we're at this part of the service I can walk up here and say I want you Jesus I need your forgiveness. I need to be right with you. I need to. I need to draw closer to you. I'm tired of neglecting what you've done for me. You, you mean I can't even hold my head up. I can't look at you in the face. I, I just feel shame and I feel conviction. I, I feel these, these feelings on the inside of me. I just, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. So if you'll forgive me. And I know you will because this is why you came. Does anybody understand what I'm preaching here today? It's not an easy message. I'd rather be shouting, dancing, and running the aisles. But what I know, y'all stay right there. But what I know is this. Because there's people here today that's lived long enough neglecting. And had Barabbas, let's change scenes here today. Had Barabbas walked to Calvary a little while later. He would have seen a cross that was meant for him. Where on this side you have a dying thief and on this side you have a dying thief. But the man in the middle who was innocent, free of guilt, free of guile, free of all of that, is taking your place. Barabbas had been smart. He had followed the resurrected Christ a month and a half later to the Mount of Olives and heard that instruction to go to an upper room. If you were smart, you would follow Jesus wherever he leads and you're going to end up in a prayer room somewhere filled with repentance and a re-infilling of the Holy Ghost. Thank you, John. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So, what are you going to do today? I'm not going to make your trip to hell pleasant. If you're here at Grace Church on Sunday mornings, you're going to hear this. You want to be lost, that's your business. But I'm not going to make it easy. You're going to hear my voice. So what are you going to do with him? 
What are you going to do with it? Could you just satisfy the Lord and just ceremoniously come down to the front for a little while? And just say, God, I do love you. I do love you. I do love you. Yeah.